Do you want to be part of a church that's faithful to the gospel but isn't judgmental or legalistic? Hello, welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle, and today I'm joined by Mark Baker, a professor of mission and theology at Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary in Fresno, California. He served as a missionary in Honduras for 10 years and has written a number of books. And his latest from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, is called Centered Set Church, Discipleship and Community Without Judgmentalism. And Mark, joins me now from the States. Mark, hi, thank you. Hello, great, great to be with you. Oh, thank you. I found this a fascinating read. Now, why is judgmentalism such a problem in so many of our churches? I, you know, I, well, first of all, I don't think it's limited to just churches. I think there's some, there seems to be something human about finding identity, security, unity through raising ourselves up and putting others down. So I, I don't think this is just a, a church problem, um, but I do think it's something that, what should we say, yeah, subverts, corrupts, takes advantage of the church, takes advantage of good things like law and Christian ethics. And um, yeah, as I argue in the book, I mean, I think it lines up with Pauline principality and power um, language in the sense that, that there are powers that take a hold of these things and turn them against us. How has your own Christian journey been marred by judgmentalism over the years? If you'll let me, I'd like to, you know, maybe take, you know, five, six minutes and, and give a little bit of narrative of how, um, I mean, to answer that question specifically, but to more broadly, how I came to be so passionate about this, this idea of, of centered set. So when I was, um, I can remember when I was six years old, so I grew up in a Christian family, and I remember when I was six years old, you know, driving home from church and looking out the window and seeing people mowing their lawns and, and having this sense of, of thinking, oh, they're, they're not Christians, or at least they're not good Christians. And so what I see is there, I was six years old, and what am I doing? I mean, I'm already a little Pharisee. And so I'm drawing a line distinguishing between uh, myself, a good Christian or Christian and these others. Um, and, and then that continued, you know, I was in high school, I had my list of rules of what it meant to be a good Christian. And I, and I complied, I was, I was a, you know, a, a good Christian. I didn't smoke, drink, dance. I didn't uh, cheat on tests at school, steal on the job at work. Um, and I viewed others, I mean, back to what you just said about judgmentalism, I did look down at others as not being, you know, good Christians or not being Christians, clearly. And then I had this experience when I was in the university of encountering some Christians that had a different set of rules than me. And for a bit, that was a, yeah, that was a very unsettling, you know, experience shaking the foundations because these people, according to my list, according to the lines I've drawn, shouldn't be in. They're not Christians. Yet, they were clearly more mature than me. They were helping me in my walk with Christ. And so I, you know, I did some study thinking. I came back at Christmas time, vacation, and said to my parents, you know, we're legalists and this is just inappropriate. This is no good. And so, and 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 at that point, from my perspective, I had left legalism behind, you know, taking these rules and forget that. And that is, you know, no good, this judgmentalism. But interestingly, I mean, just notice what I was doing in the moment. I go home to my parents and I'm pointing the finger at them. You know, you legalists, I'm, I, was, I was already drawing a new line. I mean, I'm, I'm still the Pharisee of the six-year-old. I'm still drawing a line. 
I'm not a legalist. I'm a good Christian. You're a legalist, bad Christian. And yeah, and I won't go into detail, but over, you know, over the next few years being in the university and then going to Honduras, um, yeah, I, I, I took on new expressions of the faith. And from my perspective, I was growing, maturing, progressing in discipleship. But I often use these things, you know, my commitment to help the poor in Honduras. Yeah, I went to a charismatic church. And so, you know, an openness to gifts of the spirit. And I use these things the same way I'd use that lawn mowing as a six-year-old or that, you know, not drinking and dancing as a teenager to, to, to define myself as good and others as bad. Okay, so now why I mention that is because I think commonly when people encounter legalism, as I did, what, what do they think is the problem? What did I think the problem? I thought the problem was the rule, you know, say about dancing. And my friend didn't have that rule. So let's get rid of this silly rule. But that was not the problem because I, I continued to have the same attitude with these other things. So it was the line drawing itself. So I like to say it's not the content of the line that's the problem that causes judgmentalism. It's it's the line drawing attitude. So so as I say, so I had that realization and, and I did a lot of work in Galatians, actually did my doctoral dissertation working on this topic and exploring churches in Honduras and how to become free from this kind of judgmentalism. And then it was in um, after that, actually, that I encountered this work by Paul Hebert, who he, yeah, he, he uh, borrowing from mathematics, he talks about three different ways of identifying groups. And so if I can go back to my story now, what I was practicing is what Hebert calls a bounded group or a bounded set. And it's a group that that defines itself with a clear line of, and it can be, you know, any sort of thing, characteristics, qualities, and it's not limited to church. So, you know, a sports team could be a bounded group. You have to be good enough to get on the team, you know, pay your dues, whatever, go to practice. So that's a bounded group. And then, so you know, Hebert says, okay, well, how do we respond to this judgmentalism, this, you know, it's shame inducing in a church, the insiders, the outsiders. Well, the obvious thing is the line is the problem. So let's erase the line. And what, what you get then is, and if, yeah, those who are listening, imagine you just picture a line in your mind and there's, you know, little X's inside. Those are the people that are in and circles outside the line, they're out. So it's causing all this judgmentalism and, you know, superiority and status grabbing, shame, We'll erase the line and we've taken care of the problem. And Hebert calls that if you erase the line, then you have a fuzzy set or a fuzzy group. So the line is gone. And now if you have that imaginary picture, you know, you don't have this means anymore of defining who's clearly in the group, who's a Christian, not a Christian, good Christian, not a good Christian. So we've taken no more judgmentalism. I mean, a fuzzy group does not have judgmentalism, but it's a fuzzy group. And so it opens the door to other problems as, you know, lack of identity, lack of cohesion. Yeah. Moral relativism. It, it's hard. It's even hard to think about conversion because it's, it's so fuzzy. What are you, what are you converting to? When do you convert? So Hebert advocated for a, a third alternative, which is, you know, a totally different paradigm. So these other two in the same paradigm, it's, you know, a bounded group, and then a bounded group without a line, fuzzy group. So we leave that whole way of thinking about who belongs to a group. And Hebert talks about a centered set. So a centered set is you have a center. 
So rather than drawing a line around the group and say, you have to cross this line to get in, you have a center and you define the group center. And so, you know, saying, going with the sports analogy again, if before, you know, a bounded group is a, you know, official league team where people qualify, they get in. Well, a center group would be, you know, who, who wants to go play um, football? And I'm using that in the international use of the word, um, you know, Saturday afternoon, three o'clock in the park. If you want to play, be there. That's, that's a centered group then. Whoever wants to go, their orientation is towards playing this game. And if people don't show up, they're not in the group. Their arrow is going away from it. So now we think about church. So if we put Jesus, if we put God in the center. How do we think about who belongs, who's in, who's part of the group? It's who's ever oriented toward the center. So unlike a fuzzy group, which really doesn't have a way of defining who belongs, a centered group can still look at people and discern, you know, are you part of this group? Are you with this because of orientation? Have you made a turn? And it, I mean, it's great conversion language. You know, have, have you turned? Have you repented? Have you turned towards Jesus? Then you're part of us. And what, what this center does is it, going back to my story, you know, I kept drawing lines. And I, I was using good things to draw lines. I mean, you know, so helping the poor, that's a good thing. Um, openness to the gifts of the spirit. Um, so tithing, you know, whatever's in the line, they're good things, but I use them in a judgmental way. Whereas in a centered, what we do is we don't have the necessity of drawing a line and then looking, are they in or out? Rather, we look at someone's orientation and then they're headed towards the center. They're part of the group. They're part of the church. And then we work with discipleship. Then we can talk about tithing, but it's not this in-out thing or shaming. You know, if you don't do this, we're going to exclude you. Okay, I think I've I've talked long enough. Uh, so yeah, I'll let you. No, that was fantastic. That. You know, that's fine. I'm I'm going to fo- follow up with my next question. How, how is relationship then important in a centered set church? A beautiful question. So, and, and let me start first by saying a word about relationship in the other two. So in a bounded church, there, there often is a very strong sense of unity because everyone is working at, you know, obeying the same things, believing the same things. So there's a sense of unity. And in that sense, there is some, you know, strong relational bonds. Also, there's a lack of transparency, and, and I, 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 I've experienced this. I mean, I tell a story back to this, you know, my charismatic church example. So I grew up in a church that was closed to the gifts of the spirit, was, you know, anti-Pentecostal. And um, so I'm off now in Honduras and I sort of stumbled into this Pentecostal church. I'm going there. When I went back to New York and I would talk lots of things about Honduras. I never, in, in, in the four years that I was first there, I never told people in my home church that I was going to a Pentecostal church. Why? It's not because I didn't respect the church, appreciate it, but I knew that that would put me on the wrong side of a line. And so I was, I was, I was excluding part of myself, self-excluding. And hiding part of myself. And so, and there's, you can just think of other examples where people are struggling with something, but they're afraid to say, you know, if I share this, I will feel shame, I'll be out. So, and then in, an, in a fuzzy group, there's not that shaming exclusion, but there is this, um, yeah, this sort of lukewarm tolerance that, you know, 
yeah, out of love, I would, yeah, if I truly love you, I will talk to you about the way your life is off the rails right now. But in a fuzzy church, you're not going to do that because, yeah, that's just not part of the atmosphere. The thing is to be tolerant to everyone. Okay, so now relationally, so those are negatives. Positively, so first of all, in a centered church, it creates an, an environment where transparency, you can risk transparency because there's not a threat of a exclusion. So one thing is there is yeah, a better environment for relationship. And as I think your question is pointing toward, there is the necessity of relational commitment in a centered church. If I could tell a little story from, I was giving a, a seminar on this in, in Peru one time uh, using the, the Galatians. And this was a whole morning long seminar in Galatians. And at the very end, you know, I said questions, comments, and this young pastor stood up in the back row and he said, you know, I was a little skeptical at first, but you convinced me. And then he said, you know, but this centered church, it's going to take a lot more work for me as a pastor. He said, it is much easier to just pronounce some rules, regulations, and then, you know, sort of superficially judge the people do it or not. He said, to do this centered church practice, I'm going to have to get to know the people in my church, get into their lives. So centered church facilitates prof more profound, loving transparency and for it to work, for it to, you know, practice discipleship, it necessitates yeah, relational commitment to each other, to walk with each other. Does it deal better? Does the centered approach deal better with issues like loneliness? Well, that's a good question. No one has ever asked me that before. Uh, let me ponder that for a moment. So again, in, in making the comparison, I think superficially, a fuzzy church is a good place to be. Like there's no threat. You can be there. But again, it's going to be, it, it, it's superficial. And a bounded church can be scary. You know, it, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a barrier to get in. So if you're lonely, yeah, it, it, if you're in and keeping the rules, maybe then that, that could be a good place. But I think, um, I think what a centered set offers in relation to loneliness is um, one is a, a lower bar to get in. So it's radical inclusivity, but there's a much higher commitment to walk with the person. So I think if it's practiced well, going back to that pastor in Peru, I mean, it necessitates becoming involved in people's lives. And so I think in that sense, the model itself will lend itself to coming closer to people who might be, you know, sort of floating in an isolated way in the other two models. Because, you know, in a bounded group, as long as you're across the line, you're okay. And then they, and you can just sort of float there in that staticness. Yeah, yeah. How can we see the Lord Jesus Christ living out a centered approach in the Gospels? Yeah, there's so much. So let me, let me, um, yeah, let me try to do this in just three or four minutes with 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 one text, which mm -hmm. then could take us into others. Um, so if we go to the beginning of Luke 15, Jesus is with the tax collectors and the sinners, and you know he's even eating with them. So could just to stop right there, what has he done? 
So these tax collectors, you know, and sinners in, in quotes, I mean, you know, everyone's a sinner, but these people are labeled sinner. So how is it that they're labeled sinner? I mean, right there, we're seeing a bounded group, right? The, the Pharisees and other, you know, sort of religious upright people today have labeled these people as on the wrong side of a line. They're excluded. They're not good people. They're shamed. So what does Jesus do? I see Jesus coming in with a big eraser. And he is erasing that line of the bounded group. And he's not, not just, you know, is he kind of kind of being polite? I mean, he's, he's inviting these people to eat with him, which, I mean, in, in any culture, you know, to invite somebody to eat with you expresses a level of acceptance. But, you know, in their culture at that time, I mean, much more than mine here in the United States, or I assume yours in New Zealand, it, it was a much more significant thing. So this is a radical hospitality. He's inviting them to the table. Okay, so there we see Jesus isn't, he's not bounded. And hence he's, he's undermining bounded. But you could ask, oh, Mark, you know, you just brought out an eraser. That's like what a fuzzy group does. So is Jesus fuzzy? And I'll come back to Luke 15 in a moment. But, you know, in other places in the gospel, we see Jesus calling for repentance and confronting sin. So even, even the sense that, you know, to call for repentance that that centered language to repent is to turn. And so what are you turning towards? You're turning and in the centered set model, you're turning toward the center, you're turning towards God. And yeah, I mean, so when Jesus is uh, confronting people about sin, he's not being fuzzy. Uh, but okay, now let's go back to Luke 15. Because what what happens then after this? So the Pharisees are upset. Right. So he's messing with their boundary lines. Oh, look at this guy. What he you know, thinks he's a prophet. Look what he's doing. He even eats with them. And how does Jesus respond? He tells three parables. And I think it's really important when we, we think of these parables of the, the lost coin or the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons, that remember the audience. So he's telling this to this group of tax collectors and sinners and to these Pharisees, scribes, Pharisees. Um, so bounded group people and people who are on the margins excluded. So what do these parables communicate? So to the, to the excluded people, they conclude, again, radical acceptance, forgiveness. Um, so, you know, breaking down the walls of a bounded approach. But I think it's interesting to think, what is Jesus doing? What's the point of the parables for the Pharisees, for the bounded group people? And he noticed that he does not set up a new bounded group. He doesn't say, you guys have the wrong set of rules. Like these people are okay. And, you know, you are off track. You're no good. Goodbye. Jesus does not set up a new bounded group. Rather, he literally invites them to the table. He invites them, come celebrate with me. And, and, you know, and, and I mean, I love it in the, in the parable of what we saw, parable of the prodigal son, but I think both sons are lost. It ends with, you know, this dinner scene and the father inviting the older son in. So Jesus is practicing a centered approach there in the sense of radical inclusivity, but not fuzziness. He's confronting the Pharisees and he's saying the way you're doing this is off track, but he doesn't dismiss them, throw them out. He says, come to the table. So all are invited, but not it's not anything goes. Mm. What's the place of something like church discipline in a centered church? So first of all, again, to say, you know, in a 
Yeah, in a fuzzy church, we're not going to have church discipline. Like, I mean, just going to run away from that. In a bounded church, church discipline too often is about the line, protecting the line and protecting, you know, sort of the reputation of the church, or even thinking, you know, we need to be strict about this because what will happen, you know, if other people start doing this? So in, in a bounded church, the person who is being disciplined is in one sense is the focus, but in another sense, isn't really what matters. It's the line keeping this. Okay. So a difference in a centered church is there's not this need to protect the line, like, because our security is in the center. Our identity is in the center. It's not in the line. So a centered church can deal with a bit more of messy situations and still have their identity, their security. Therefore, when it comes to church discipline, but now I have to say strong. Okay. So it's not like a fuzzy church because, you know, what's in the center matters. And I've said, you know, Jesus is in the center. God's a center, but a, a church's center will include, you know, ethics and behavior that's considered appropriate and inappropriate, beliefs that are appropriate and inappropriate. And if someone is off track, then, you know, their arrow is heading the wrong direction. And so then what do we do? Back to the relational thing. We go to that person to walk with them and say, you know, turn around, you're heading the wrong direction. And if they don't turn around, then we may use church discipline. We may say you are no longer part of us. But the intention of doing that, and, and we see this you know, in Pauline language about it, is restoration. So the hope is, and the effort will be in restoring the person that their arrow will turn back in. So you know, in the book, I, I mean, I talk a little bit, have a section on church discipline. Um, and, and part of what I say is just the language for some people is so toxic, you know, radioactive. They just run away from it. And I say, but, you know, but a centered church, whether you use the language or not, a centered church needs to practice something like church discipline because a centered church cares for people's path toward the center, towards Jesus and cares about the health of the community. Yeah, maybe I should take a pause and let me say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a professor. I've been a professor now for 20 some years. Um, you know, I lead a Bible study in a county jail and I'm involved in, you know, go back to Honduras in vacation some, but primarily I'm a professor. I haven't been, you know, in, I was in, with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Campus Minister for a number of years, involved in ministry. But as I teach this now, I needed to go out and learn from others, from pastors, from ministry leaders, how do you live this out? So to say the book is overflowing with stories, some my own, but mostly other practitioners. Okay. So back to the point, this one practitioner who is a Mennonite. So they're, they're pacifists and he's talking about, so what happens? And I asked him, so how do you, you know, let's think about, you know, uh, Mennonites bounded, fuzzy and, and centered. And so, yeah, bounded, Mennonites and and I'm Mennonite, so I can say this. You know, we have this tendency in going bended directions, and it's it can be yeah ugly as in other places. And so you know, you're not a pacifist, you're out, and we're pacifists and superior. So it's not that. And fuzzy would just yeah wouldn't okay. You know, we're not going to talk about it. this is who we are, but whatever you think, that's fine. So he said when someone came to their church, 
who said, you know, I'm not sure about this Christian pacifism stuff. And the pastor, Weldon Nisley, said to him, you are welcome to be with us, to come, to worship with us, to walk with us. Know that we are pacifists. And Weldon said, I think if you come with us and immerse yourself in the Gospels with us, follow Jesus, I think you will come to see, embrace our way of peace. But then he said, and if you don't, you know, there are lots of other churches. I'll help you find another church. Mm. And I thought, you know, what a, what a, just a beautiful attitude beautiful response. Yes, yes. You know, of yeah. not saying, yeah, just not bounded. And then, but then, then I asked Weldon, you know, have you done that? And he said, yes, he had done that. And then later on, when I was talking to him, he, he made this beautiful statement. He said, you know, we can have people who aren't sure, who are not in fully in line with us, but are exploring. But he said, but what we can't have is someone who's seeking to undermine our beliefs and commitments. And he said, that is when I say to the person, you know, you are not welcome here. So, so back to what I think I was saying was, yeah, in a centered set, there are times when church discipline is needed. Intervention is needed. Mm. Well, we could talk for hours about this. Um, can I fit in one more question? I think we can. I want to ask you about evangelism, uh, evangelism in a, in a centered set church and, and how centered set evangelism could be distinguished from the more bounded kind of approach to evangelism that we've perhaps traditionally experienced in churches. So I think, uh, first of all, there is more room in a centered set to recognize uh, the journey towards full conversion. And, and, and I quote in the book from, from a book on evangelism, I forget the title, I think it's learning from the postmodern or something. So it's, you know, learning from people who have converted and they make the observation that in many places in the world today, it's quite rare that someone is just, you know, cold sale evangelism, you know, they're just, you know, you just talk to them and they become a Christian like that. And they go through this five-step process and they say, you know, first someone needs to trust a Christian and many people in the world don't trust, trust Christians, you know, and then they need to have a level of curiosity and then there needs to be an openness to change. Um, and then, you know, exploring, as you said, and then making the actual commitment and, and you can even and to say crossing the line. And I think it's, you know, in a, in a center church, you can still have lines. They're not, they're just not judgmental lines. And so I think both those things that are distinctive in center church evangelism is unlike a fuzzy church, you still, like turning is important. Repentance, conversion is very important in a centered church. And yet there is space room to walk with the person as they're very gradually turning, or maybe even a recognition, I'm going to have to walk with a person as they're very gradually turning, and not such a sharp definition of in and in and outness. Yes, that's really helpful, isn't it? Uh, a journey. Evangelism is a journey with, with the people. Absolutely. We could talk for hours, Mark. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Mark Baker, a professor of mission and theology at Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary in Fresno in California. 
and his latest book, which you will find fascinating if you take the time to acquire it and read it from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, is called Centred Set Church, Discipleship and Community Without Judgmentalism. And we probably need a lot more of it in this world. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. It was great to be with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.